We're beginning a series on uh, explore, explorations in faithfulness um, this morning. And uh, the first part will be um, uh, an introduction, and then the second part will be hitting on uh, Abraham and what he experienced in waiting for God. Now, looking out here this morning, it looks to me like all of you have already learned patient waiting. Amen? Oh, they're not sure on... No, maybe I'm reading the room wrongly or something. One of the things that we don't like is waiting, isn't it? But, um, but God does amazing things in that moment of waiting. God may speak or he may not speak. He may act or he may not act. But you can be assured that what is going on is God is doing something in us. It's like that idea when, when we pray and our prayers are not answered but we jolly well know that we have been answered, even if our prayers remain unanswered. That's the type of thing that God does, and it's absolutely amazing. So we'll begin looking at exploring different types of faithfulness. And if you notice, the book of Revelation describes Christians as called, chosen, and faithful. That's in Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And these three words encapsulate the essence of what it means to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. And each one of these would make a really fruitful Bible study. Maybe that's something to note for later. But faithfulness is a multifaceted word in the Bible. It describes God's character and his action towards humanity. That's why we can sing without hesitation that God is faithful in all his ways in a way that we are not, even if we try and strive and everything. But we are fallen, aren't we? Humanity, I love the three F's of humanity, fallen, fragile, and fallible. And yet God knows this all the time. So where there are extreme demands in the Christian discipleship, it is met and matched by extreme mercy as and when we fall and stumble because God is faithful. Isn't that good? So also the Psalms mostly refer to God's action towards us. This faithfulness, a word that means reliability, steadfastness. The idea is linked to God's love. His, in the Old Testament, his chesed love. His steadfast love towards us it re refers to honesty god's honest intentions towards us conscientious intentions towards us but also elsewhere do you remember moses in numbers 12 verse 7 is described as being faithful in all of god's house i wouldn't mind getting to the end of my life and having that said about me faithful in all of god's house so it's worth pointing out at this point that the opposite of faithfulness is to be undependable, disloyal, or fickle. And that these things can describe humanity at its worst. And these, these are really about the descriptions of the gods and the idols that we invent in our, in our hearts. Martin Luther said the human heart is a factory of idols. 
creating these idols, anything that distracts us from the worship of God. And they are always undependable, disloyal, and fickle. But it is God alone who is unchanging. God alone. Malachi 3, verse 6. This is God speaking right at the end of the Old Testament story. I, the Lord, do not change. Look at, look at the beauty of this. Therefore, you, O children, are not consumed. Because God doesn't change. Because he's faithful towards us. He is dependable. He is trustworthy. This is why God alone is worthy of our trust and our faith. And why he evokes trust and faith. Remember, Jesus said anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. In other words, anything that doesn't proceed from what God has said and done is sin. It, it sharpens the focus, doesn't it, about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, one of our challenges, of course, in the, is it the secular culture that we live in. We're swimming in a soup of idolatry and nonsense. Our culture prides itself on things like innovation, rapid change, and creative alternatives, almost despising the wisdom of the past, despising the wisdom of the ancients with alarming speed. Deep-seated loyalty, trustworthiness, conscientiousness, and integrity are in short supply, it seems, in almost, no, let me rephrase that, in every single institution that we human beings have set up, including the church. Not that we set the church up, but it's a challenge to us, isn't it? To actually believe God at his word. Because we who belong to Christ are not immune from these pressures. Not one bit. Felt the pressure to... I don't know, the usual suspects. We mentioned them the other week, didn't we, about the lust of the eyes, the, the gossip of the tongue, and there was something else. What was the third one? Can anyone remember? Was it the heart, or was it something? Eyes, tongue, anyone? Hmm? Ears, yeah, it might be ears. What we, what, what we take in, what we, what we push out, and so on. So it's a challenge to us as well. Inside the church, we are not immune from these pressures. And once we start seeing the logs in our own eye, not only can God build a galleon of Spanish ships to sail the high seas again, but we ask the Holy Spirit to take these away, to help us to see more clearly. And it's what Paul writes, the judgment begins with the house of God every time. We're not to judge outsiders, even though Christians do like to do that. But judgment begins with the house of God. Take the plank out of our own eye. Trust God. Believe what he has said. At every single turn, every turn, we are to believe what God has said in a world that is drowning in lies. Romans 6.23 says, Because you have been set free from sin, and you, if you believe in Christ, have become slaves of God. And to be a slave of God is to be the freest person in the world the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life 
And this gives us the necessary courage, church, to be faithful in the world before people and before God. Because if you don't think you need courage to be faithful, I don't think you're living the Christian life. It takes enormous courage to trust God at his word. Doug Wilson, an American pastor, says this, Desperate times call for faithful men and women, and not careful men. The careful men, he says, come later, and they write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Desperate times call for faithful men and women. And once we've been set free by Christ, we enter this process of becoming. And we talked about becoming uh, when we looked at this series of our key verse for this year. Jesus said, I will make you become fishers of men. But we enter the process of becoming as a process of sanctification. A journey of becoming what Christ has made us to become. And it is this process that we face down all of our self-righteousness. And boy, we are full of it, aren't we? All of our pretensions and our distortions. And we come face to face with God who is faithful. Face to face. As Moses did at the burning bush. To a God who didn't consume him, but shared the holy ground with him. A God who wants our company. A God who wants our flesh on the ground, meeting him and not being consumed. Paul cries out in Romans 7, doesn't he? Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am. Nick, you're doing a great job on these, by the way. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He realizes he can't do it. Even when he tries to do the right thing, the wrong result occurs. His motives are all mixed up, like our motives can often be mixed up as well. And we sing, don't we, as we sang earlier, what a faithful God have I, faithful in every way. Thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Jesus Christ. So in this series we will look further at how God's Stunning faithfulness. And all of us, I'm, I've got no doubt, can testify to God's stunning faithfulness. And how God's stunning faithfulness meets our fallenness and our unfaithfulness and all of our good intentions, our fickleness. And throughout the series, we will come across several characters and we will identify with some more than others. But we will also meet ourselves in Scripture because the Scriptures are a mirror to our soul as well. They reflect us. It's not so much that we interpret the Bible, but the Bible interprets us. And so we are transformed. And when we meet ourselves in Scripture, we find the God who doesn't consume us. He doesn't consume us. And God always gives us a way out of our situations when we mess up. Have you noticed that? Have you ever been, have you been in a lifelong situation where you've messed up and God hasn't rescued you? What a real pickle we would all be in, right, if that was the case. But God rescues again and again 
and again, doesn't he? Isaiah 26, 3-4 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. What is a rock? It's a metaphor of God, not something that's cold and hard but something that is sure and steadfast and dependable. Something that cannot be moved. And that is the rock, which is Christ. I think it's a happy coincidence that we begin a series on faithfulness with Amy starting with us next week and the delightful uh, family of Amy's is with us today. Welcome again to you guys. We've had a lot of waiting to do, haven't we? You've had a lot of waiting to do as well, Joe. What was the... Just very quickly, what was the process like of, of discerning what that move was like for you guys? Was it just easy? Was it like, praise God? No. It was step by step, right? And, and sometimes there's silences, I would imagine. Sometimes people are giving words and maybe sometimes those words conflict. And it's the same for us too in that, in that waiting period, in that waiting on God for the right person to come, to be with us. And so there's a journey of faith from you guys, on the one hand, and a journey of faith from us, and we meet in the middle, and then we suddenly have a testimony of how wonderful God's faithfulness is to us. What one thing do we forget to talk about in that time, church? Our anxiety and our stress <laughs> of how long it's taking, and God is working all the time, shaping us. Step by step. Anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. So we can't grasp or snatch at these things. We wait for God to speak and to act. And it's a good thing to do. We've had a lot of waiting to do. And so now we, you have your testimony. And we have our testimony. And there's overlap in this testimony. Now let me ask a couple of questions about that process. Did any of you waver? Don't answer, it's rhetorical. Did any of you waver in this process? <coughs> Wobble a little bit maybe? Did you doubt? Did any of you question? Let me ask you, are you wavering now? <laughs> God is good. Because he's provided. Did any of you doubt? Are you doubting now? <laughs> Do you question now God's provision? Isn't it good? Isn't it good how God does these things, right? Yeah. God has used this situation, this period of time, to grow and stretch us, to grow and stretch Joe and Amy as well. Because Christian, ex Christian faith is not an exercise in, in just admi administration. It's not. Anything that doesn't proceed from... Come on, church, I've said it three times already. Anything that doesn't proceed from... Faith is sin. That's a study in itself, right? What does that mean? Everything that doesn't proceed from faith? Well, I'm going to pop over to Sainsbury's and buy a loaf of bread later. Do I need faith to do that? When do I stop believing in God for the, every single detail of my life? When do you stop doing that? And in who do you trust to safely cross that road? To not have your card declined at the cash machine. <laughs> to trust. 
So I was thinking about the Champions League final of 2005 when Liverpool were 3-0 down at half-time. Even I lost hope. I was one of the naysayers. This is so embarrassing. But Christian faith is like this. Sometimes when the chips are down and the game seems up, you can be 3-0 down at half-time. The game's over. Your team is being completely smashed to pieces. But what is Christian faith if it's not resurrection? So Liverpool rose from the dead. Can't say that these days. 3-3 by the time the final whistle went. And then Liverpool beat them on penalties. Get in. This is what it's like. Faith in Jesus. Can you imagine being the disciples when he's lying stone-cold dead in a stone-cold tomb? Game over. But not with God. With man, this is impossible. But with God, how many things are possible, church? <laughs> yes. <sighs> I haven't even started on Abraham yet. Here we go. Let's have a quick look at Abraham. Oh, very quick look. Abraham is often held up as the, uh, the man of faith, the waiting on God par excellence, as they say in France. But he's also the example of below par excellence. It's like it's terrible, some of the things that he went through and did, some of the decisions he made that reflect us back to ourselves as well. And so if you do have your Bibles, open up to sort of, uh, some of them will come up on the screen as well, not this one yet. Oh, you've given the game away. Ah, that one, we'll stick with that one for now. We'll stick with that one. But as I said, waiting is not something that people like to do generally. I'm sure none of us like waiting in long queues, notably airports, either before the holiday or after the holiday. But waiting on God is simply that element of Christian discipleship that is trustful, and you've all experienced this, that is trustful despite the evidence to the contrary. The silence of God, maybe. When God seems silent. When you're just told to wait, just wait. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Feeling weak lately, church? They shall mount up on wings like eagles. This is Isaiah 40, somewhere or other. Oh, it was read out earlier. Andy read it out earlier. They shall run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. It's those who wait. And that waiting is never, ever, ever passive. It is active waiting. It is faith in God. It literally, that's all it is. We talk about faith in God. Like, do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Active pursuing. Like David, a man after God's own heart. Like Queen Esther, who also prayed one of those prayers in Esther 9. A woman after God's own heart. They're all over the Bible, these examples that we have. So we wait despite how God is responding. And I think that type of waiting is one of the markers of true discipleship, true following, real trust. Even though the questions come out and doubts swirl around our heads, Habakkuk was also instructed to 
uh, in chapter 2, 2 verse 3, to wait for the appointed time while God was working these things out in history. The Babylonians were about to come and wipe away God's covenant people. And God said, wait, Habakkuk, wait. Do you remember that story of Simeon in, in Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, when Jesus was presented at the temple? What does, the Bible, what, does the, what does Luke's account tell us about that? That he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for the Messiah. He's trusting God, despite the evidence to the contrary, despite the Romans occupying the land, and so on. And all these types of waiting are the kind of waiting that Abraham is also being taught to, to live through, to learn to trust God. And when he makes a mistake, to recover from, to find that God is not fickle, that God is dependable in every single circumstance. So, Genesis 12.4 has God promising Abraham a son. Abraham is childless at this point. Abraham is also... 75 years old. Is there anybody here who is 75, specifically? Graham, Eric. Can you imagine God saying this to you? It's like, Lord, that's outrageous. And God made the promise it's going to come from your body. So Abraham thinks, well, I don't believe this. Have you seen the state of my body? But he tries to take it into his own hands, doesn't he? And he gets into a right old kerfuffle with the, the, the servant girl, Hagar. <laughs> he tries to engineer the possibility of a slave adoption. And then he thinks, Hagar, actually, she, she's young enough to have my children. But that's not what God said. God said, not only will your son come from your own body, he said that it will not come by another woman either, but by Sarah, his wife. Have you seen his wife? I don't know how old she was. Maybe it says somewhere. Is there anybody here who's 80? No one's admitting it. All right, anyone here who feels 80? <laughs> but God had made specific promises. Don't take it into your own hands. Don't, as Jesus passed in the wilderness for us, don't turn the stone to bread. Don't illegitimately force God's hands. This is what Abraham was doing. And despite this, Sarah was still taken into Pharaoh's harem. And later on, he was, she was taken into Abimelech's harem. It's a terrible, terrible situation. And yet, despite all of this turmoil, it is God who shows himself faithful. And then we get this famous line in Genesis 15, verse 6 which can come up on here. Abraham, through all of these trials and tribulations, believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. Paul, the apostle, built his entire theology on this verse. Romans 4 talks about this specifically. Jesus says, what, what, is, the, what is the work of God? To believe the one he has sent. That's it. To believe Christ. So this is the type of faithfulness that Christian faith, that a Christian believer 
responds to. This, this action of God, this promise of God to us. What is the specific promise of God to you? Anything? Has God said? Or, or, or are you going through a season where heaven seems silent? Or is God just lavishing you with the truth of his love for you, his word, the promises from scripture? We don't want to take matters into our own hands as we wait for God either, as Abraham and Sarah did. Because it only prolongs the agony, doesn't it? Have you ever wondered why the Bible is so big? It's quite a chunky, quite a chunky wadge, isn't it? Have you ever wondered why it's so big? Because people keep taking matters into their own hand. And God keeps waiting and delivering and healing and rescuing and getting us out of all sorts of pickles. Because if we weren't so fickle in our faith, this would be very, very thin, this Bible. But that's why it's so chunky. So part of our penance is to have a big Bible that we must read through to understand the mechanics of our human heart. How we are to relate with God. And this is the process of waiting patiently. We can no more avoid God in our lives, church, than we can avoid water when we jump into a swimming pool. God is for you. That's the point of his faithfulness. That's the point of his steadfastness. He is for you. And so I just want to finish with two verses. The first one is from James 5, 7 and 8, which says, Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And Hebrews 9, 28. Christ, having been offered once for all to bear the sins of all, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, it's already been dealt with, but to save those who are, let's say this all together, eagerly waiting for him. Yes. Eagerly waiting for him. All glory to Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Praise his name. Father, sink this word deep into our hearts, I pray. The truth of your word. And by the power of your spirit, Lord, speak to your people. We offer this in Jesus' name. Amen.